This is Recorded Future, Inside Security Intelligence. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 210 of the Recorded Future podcast. I'm Dave Bittner from the CyberWire. Our guest this week is Nilu Razi Howe. She's senior operating partner at Energy Impact Partners and an investor, entrepreneur, and cybersecurity expert. Our conversation centers on some of the cybersecurity policy decisions coming out of the Biden White House, the challenges of ransomware and attribution, dealing with adversary nation states willing to turn a blind eye on cybercrime, as well as her outlook for possible solutions to these challenges. Stay with us. I've ever wanted to do was work. Honestly, I'm one of those people who even at the age of 12 was trying to figure out how to make money and how to go work and engage in this sort of adult exercise of um, putting your skills out there and receiving remuneration for it. My first job was working oddly for Steven Spielberg when I was in high school. And I have to say that I may not have admitted to being in high school when I applied for the job <laughs> or when I got it and when I, and I was a senior and, and uh, figuring out how to balance that full-time job while trying to actually graduate from high school <laughs> um, has some comedic moments uh, embedded. Wow. In it. Uh, uh, dare I say yeah. you could make a movie. There's something in there. There is for sure something in there. I, I mean, when I look back on it, I'm like, how on earth did you pull that off? You know, I can barely uh, pull off just showing up to to work these days. I can't imagine like actually doing high school and work, but it was wow. fun. It was a lot of fun. You don't know what you don't know about, right when you're that age. That's the thing. Right. Like, right. No, you no sense of this doesn't make any sense. This is impossible. You can't do it. It's like, sure, I can do this. I did get, you know, at the end of the year, um, when my grades came and they weren't quite what they used to be, one of my, one of my teachers, uh, had written, it's not enough to get A's on tests when Nilu missed 56 classes. <laughs> and, and I remember my parents going, how did you miss 56 classes? And I was like, well, no, 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 mom. What, what he meant was five or six classes. Uh, um, very good. Very good. <laughs> uh, interesting. Well, where, where did you go from there? Um, so I went to college from there, but, but my, uh, you know, when I, when I graduated from, uh, college, uh, and I graduated a year early because I was so, uh, excited to go into the workforce. Um, I really at first thought I was going to be a writer. So I went to LA and, and started working for different film producers, uh, helping write movie ideas and, and scripts soon decided that I was really not where I wanted to spend my, my life's energy. And so I started working in, in tech, now, this was back when, to date myself, you know, the fax machine was this really cool invention. <laughs> you know, I worked with uh, a, a gentleman who'd done some really interesting entrepreneurial projects, and my job was to get his ideas, you know, get the business plan going, raise the money, and um, and launch them and, and work them. And that's sort of how I got the bug. I did go to law school from there and uh, lasted a whole year and a half in the practice of law before... Uh, going to McKinsey, getting some business training, and then starting the journey in, in tech. And ever since then, I've pretty much gone back and forth between either being on the entrepreneurial side or being on the investing side. And today, I actually get to straddle both worlds. So I get to invest through Energy Impact Partners, uh, which is a venture capital fund in New York. And I get to be 
a quasi entrepreneur and I'm, I'm the executive chair of Pondurance, which is uh, a MDR cybersecurity company. And I get to sit on uh, a number of boards, either because of my experience in cybersecurity or because of my experience with uh, fast growing, innovative tech companies. Hmm. And so, I mean, what is your day to day like these days? How do you how do you balance the the various things that are demanding your time? Yeah, and let me layer on top of that for a second. On top of that, I also work with um, two think tanks, New America and Council on Foreign Relations, on, on policy issues, mostly New America. And I also have served on government advisory boards. And the reason I do this is I really do believe that cybersecurity now is not its own. It hasn't been its own thing for a really long time, right? 20 years ago, it's this dark art. We were solving super technical problems. Um, Today, it's embedded in everything we do, everything every organization does. It's a core pillar of every transformational um, activity. So I get to see it from all these different perches and kind of be a translator across all the silos. Because what we need to do is have a whole of society response, not just a government response, not just an industry response, not just a tech response, but everyone needs to work together to change the dynamic um, of the industry. So there is no typical day for me because of the number of organizations I work with. You know, I mostly working on very strategic issues with with the companies I work with and I would say I, I work as hard as I've ever done. I'm, I'm you know, it's five days a week at least. <laughs> Um, try to keep the weekends a little bit for the kids, but it's the same amount of time I've always put in. I just get to now do it across, um, uh, across a number of companies working with phenomenal CEOs, working on important issues, seeing if there's anything I can contribute, uh, to try and make the world, uh, a little bit better. I'd like to dig into some, uh, policy issues that we're, we're seeing these days. I mean, specifically, uh, the Biden administration recently put out their executive order. I am curious uh, on your take on that and, and in general, how this uh, new administration has been approaching cyber. Sure. So I am thrilled with the speed, the seriousness and the talent that the Biden administration is bringing to cybersecurity. And if you look at who they've pulled in, right, um, we have Ann Newberger on the National Security Council. We have Jen Easterly going to run CISA. We have Chris Inglis as the National Cyber Director. We've had multiple EOs um, coming out. Uh, we have had some strong words, especially with respect to both SolarWinds um, and, and most recently the Colonial Pipeline hack. So the the setting is great. And I think for most of us in, in the industry, um, there is no question that the administration is taking all of the issues seriously. And, um, and there's a lot of issues, right, that, that we, have to, um, we have to turn into. One of the really important things that uh, this White House is doing, and, and this is true with both the current EO and, and the previous EO that had to do with the energy sector is they are working hand in hand with the private sector to figure out what the right responses need to be. Because at the end of the day, like I said, the government can't solve the problems by itself. There's some things only the government can do and it has to do that. There's some things only the private sector can do and they have to do that. But a lot of the solution set 
lies in that intersection of both understanding what's really happening on both sides and developing solutions that are workable at minimum and potentially cooperative between the public sector um, and the private sector. So it's, you know, the proof is going to be in the pudding, right? Both, both the EOs that have come out have had very strong language in them to identify all the right issues. Um, and they set the framework for creating the right policies and regulations that we need. They, they are not obviously the policies and regulations. So that's where, you know, hopefully it will continue at this pace and, and will drive to um, some real outcomes. Do you sense that there's a, a true you know, good faith effort from both the private sector and from government to make some real progress on this? Absolutely. Um, I, I think there's people working very hard on both. And by the way, the great thing is this is a nonpartisan issue, right? Cyber is not a partisan issue. And right. the solutions that all of the different solutions that, that both industries talked about, that um, various members of Congress who are very steeped in these issues have talked about and the EO is turning into, they're not political. So that makes it a lot easier uh, than, than potentially some other issues that we need to turn into that are, that are harder. There's a need and a desire. And when want and need collide, um, good things can happen uh, to change the dynamic. Uh, I mean, look, 2021 has been crazy, right? You start mm. with, if you look at every you know, it's one thing after another that's coming out. And with Colonial, a lot of folks have been pounding the table for years saying, we've got to turn into ransomware. We've got to turn into ransomware. We've got to turn into ransomware. And finally, uh, and I think I, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure DarkSide didn't intend to take our gas distribution system down. Um, but we now see the real consequences of what can happen as a result of a ransomware attack. And um, it was the wake-up call that anyone who was still asleep really needed to, um, to turn into this issue and, and take it seriously and make some really bold moves. How do you suppose we'll, we'll see a response at the federal level? I mean, we're, um, we've seen, I suppose it's fair to say pretty strong attribution, which isn't always the case. Um, you know, there's always a, a little bit of uh, fuzziness when it comes to these sorts of things, but uh, how, how should the federal government respond to something like colonial pipeline? Yeah. So can I turn into this question of attribution a little bit and, and talk about sure. a little bit of the reticence? So here's, yeah. and this is just me talking, right? I, this is me not on any platform or any of the organizations I'm affiliated with giving you my yeah. opinion, which is um, the problem the government has is the moment you make that attribution and point a finger at a nation state, then you have to do something <laughs> and mm. your options are limited, right? And so your diplomatic options, the, the tools that you use, ongoing relationships, everything gets very complicated the moment you say Russia's behind this. Or the moment you say, and this is, this is the issue, uh, you know, I just gave a talk yesterday on, on surveillance, on the rise of surveillance states, calling out China and especially what they're doing to the Uyghur population there, right? The most surveilled population on earth. The moment mm -hmm. you call that genocide, you can't not do something about it, right? You've mm. got to actually take action and, um, and turn into it as difficult as that might be. And we have a very complicated relationship with China we have a slightly less complicated relationship with Russia, but it doesn't mean that it's easy. If you talk to 
anyone off the record in the cybersecurity industry, not anyone, but I'd say 99% of the people, Russian gangs are behind 95 plus percent of ransomware attacks. There is a lawless zone in Russia. Uh, Putin is at least allowing it to happen. Whether he's benefiting from that in other ways, I don't know. But knowing Russia and knowing Putin, would it surprise you if they were sharing intelligence? Would it surprise you if you know there was even a take that Putin was taking from these ransomware gangs? It wouldn't surprise me. I'm not saying it's happening, but it absolutely wouldn't surprise me. So right. there is this lawless zone. We know these gangs are Russian, and we know at minimum they're allowed to operate with impunity. So that, um, you know, I'll say it here, uh, <laughs> and, and uh, uh, we'll see what the consequences of that are. But as a result, um, you're not just dealing with, um, you know, normal criminal organizations, the, and, and, and they're not state-sponsored in the traditional sense, but they're certainly state-encouraged um, mm -hmm. at minimum. And it's very hard to to go after them using traditional legal means. So if you're asking me what the government should do um, with, with respect to ransomware, I would say that there's three things that would make a big difference. The first is, um, and we have a history of doing this, of actively disrupting criminal operations, right? We've done this, we did this with Silk Road in 2015, with Alpha Bay in 2017, Russia Small Group protected both the 2018 and 2020 elections by disrupting the Russian trolls. We took down the Wall Street market in 2019 and, um, you know, Operation Disruptor in, in 2020 and TrickBot. So we have a history of doing actively disrupting operations and we should do that. There's some controversy. We know dark sides operations were disrupted. There's some controversy as to who did that. I, no one's come out and taken um, responsibility for it. So, you know, was it the U.S. government? Was it some other Russian criminal gang? Was it Russia itself that decided that this is just shining, you know, too bright a light on what's right. going on? Who knows? But that's pretty active. Um, and that, that would be pretty effective. Um, the second is, and, and a number of people have talked about this, Alex Samos, um, uh, Dmitry Alperovich has talked about this. We need to regulate cryptocurrency exchanges with Know Your Customer mm -hmm. requirements. There is a direct correlation between, you know, the, the creation of, of a cryptocurrency and exchanges and the rise of ransomware, because you wouldn't have a way to monetize all of this criminal activity without crypto. So if we want this to stop, we will have to, at minimum, create know your customer requirements so that the anonymity of these payments um, gets taken away. The, the third thing we can do, and this is, you know, sort of the hardest to some extent, but potentially very effective, is using all of our tools of national, of national power to impose costs on the countries that knowingly harbor, enable, empower, and legitimize these criminal organizations. I mean, it's, it's comic that, you know, Revel and Darkside, like they're putting out PR statements, right? They, they have marketing statements that they put out there. They give interviews about the tools and tactics they're using and how they recruit customers and how they carry out their operations. And it's happening, like I said, mostly in Russia. So we need to get serious about um, the diplomatic tools we have 
Uh, and we have to do it with a coalition of the willing. We know, for example, Dark Side, you know, which has been in operation since August 2020, has impacted somewhere between, you know, 50 and 75 organizations. It's about 99 that are infected with our malware around the world in 15 countries. So, you know, we're not the only ones, although, you know, we tend to take the brunt of these attacks. We need to have a coalition of the willing that is willing to do something more than just expel diplomats, um, because that that's pretty soft when it comes to imposing cost uh, on a country like Russia. But if we do all of that from a government perspective, or at least some combination of those three things, I think we can have an impact. And that's not to say the private sector doesn't have a role. The private sector absolutely has, has a role here. We have to build resiliency into our systems. And the goal of cyber programs isn't just to stop intrusions, because at the end of the day, there's no way to stop all intrusions. Um, your goal needs to be to be resilient to intrusions and to understand what that means so that in, in the context of an attack like ransomware and, and the things that folks are doing post ransomware, you know, whether they're DDoSing you to make sure that you pay them, that we have resiliency and can, can get operational fast, th that's on the private sector. That's not something government can do. So our critical infrastructure providers um, have to take that seriously. Now, the place where the public-private comes in that could be super helpful is, you know, there's a set of software and technology that critical infrastructure is relying on. And those important systems, we need to have a trusted vendor list. Asking each um, company for themselves to figure out de novo what technology can be trusted and what technology can't be trusted just seems silly to me. Um, we need to create this trusted list of vendors. And again, you know, the EO talked about a, a few of these things and really intends to dig into it, which gets me back to um, super optimistic about mm. both the pace and direction that the Biden administration is taking. Yeah, I mean, that's what I, w I wanted to swing back around. I mean, d does it seem to you like the the Biden administration is going to have the the will and and the support of of Congress to take uh, the serious steps against Russia, for example? That remains to be seen. I hope they do. Again, this is this is not partisan um, like other issues are. So I'm not sure what the, um, from a political perspective, there should be no roadblocks to this. Where mm -hmm. the roadblocks are going to come in is provincialism, right? So each committee uh, in Congress cares about its particular agency, right? So who leads in this circumstance? Who ends up getting more authorities? Who ends up getting more funding? Um, how does the coordination between agencies happen? That's what I mean about this is where the rubber meets the road. We can all say that, you know, we're going to have an NTSB for cyber, for example. That's something that's been talked about. Well, where does that thing reside? Is it, does it reside under CISA, DHS? Does it sit somewhere else? Um, where does it get all of its information from? How does it, you know, coordinate with FBI and with NSA that has all the technical talent? If we can not be provincial about how we approach building the solution and really focus on making sure that where the technical capability resides is somewhat correlated to where the authorities sit and where the funding goes, we can solve this. 
But if every committee ends up caring about its particular agency, um, that's the only place where I think we're going to have an issue. Our thanks to Nilu Razi Howe for joining us. Don't forget to sign up for the Recorded Future Cyber Daily email, where every day you'll receive the top results for trending technical indicators that are crossing the web. Cyber news, targeted industries, threat actors, exploited vulnerabilities, malware, suspicious IP addresses, and much more. You can find that at recordedfuture.com slash intel. We hope you've enjoyed the show and that you'll subscribe and help spread the word among your colleagues and online. The Recorded Future podcast production team includes coordinating producer Caitlin Mattingly. The show is produced by The Cyberwire with executive editor Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening.